0: soaking wet. Well, someone threw a water balloon at me. You wanna know who? You wanna know? Fine. <sighs> it was a puddle. Well, I mean, the puddle didn't throw a water balloon. I guess that's just a funny way of saying I tripped in a puddle. Well, okay, I mean, I I I don't really know if I should call it a puddle. Thinking back, it was, it was pretty big. How big was it? Um, well, it was so big, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was the ocean. (laughs) Yeah, I, uh, I tripped in the ocean, which is hard to do because it's very big. You trip on little things, you know? That's like, that's like falling down and being like, oh, who put planet Earth here, Zack? <laughs> but yep, I tripped into the ocean. Oh. I ran up to it like, oh, I'm just gonna walk on the edge of it real quick, and then it moved on me. It'll do that. Splash, uh-oh, you betcha. <laughs> now I'm all wet. I'm wet. And I'm so embarrassed that I made up a lie about a puddle and a balloon and I feel like the biggest clown in the history of the whole world forever. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm all wet and I'm also just dripping with the drips of being a big dummy.
1: <sighs> Brother Reed. Great, yeah, thanks. <clears throat> and now some petitions for the congregants who grease this story wheel slick, slick. The response is, I wubba 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 that story till I'm dead. For Congregant Osama B, may the story introduce a family of geese into your most private space, your bed, geese in the pillows, a goose in the sheets, a Gosling in the nightstand and an egg in the drawer. Ugh! I guess this makes you Papa Goose. <laughs> Good luck figuring out bird sex. I love Papa I love, I love, I love, I love Goose. Like <clears throat> For our congregant Sarah W, a package addressed to you was mistakenly delivered to the Story Compound. It contained a pistol made out of chocolate, a paper mache bust of the late Ronald Reagan, a copy of *The Perks of Being a Wallflower*, with an inscription reading, "You know what to do. May the story remind you to come pick up your stuff, you goof." For congregant Jacob C. There's a dirty man living beneath your parent's house. And ring, ring, uh, your mom is calling to say, Hey, Jacob C., come deal with this. So you crawl under the house (laughs) with a flashlight and a candy bar. Within an hour, you have a new friend. His name is Growlips. He's from the realm of secrets. And now he lives inside your chest. I love For congregant Josie A, you wake up in the middle of the night to the pitter patter of boy feet. Yep, Cholmes is in your room. What's the deal with this? But you can tell he wants you to follow because he's standing like a fencer and waving you with his boy's palm. You follow him outside for a long time. You're like, was a matter with this? And he points back at the house in the distance. You see it slowly catch a blaze. Was a buzzardette. I love, 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 love to For congregant Ben D. We've said it once and we'll say it again. Your name is so. Fa- Ben, 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 uh, until one day you meet a big old tree named G, and oh shit, G is faster than Ben. It burns you up, so you take your axe, Joanne, go to that tree and whack, whack, Timber crab. You look inside, expecting to see like uh, a million rings, right? But no, just one! Oh, wow! That tree was a fat baby!
0: Well, I'm dry now! <laughs> yep, I told myself I was dry, and then it just happened. <laughs> Ooh, brr! <laughs> yeah, I'm dry, and that's what's called having a positive outlook. <laughs> Try it sometime. Oh, jeez. Oh. Anyway, Pastor Andrew, the story, please.
2: This story is titled "The Great Flood" by Uncle J. W. Birthday. Dr. Willard locked his apartment door and walked down the long corridor that led to the stairway. The water had risen up the first few steps and was rising still. He tucked his pants into his rubber boots and went down the stairs. Water flowed in through the open front door, letting in pieces of wood, garbage, and sewage. Outside, the rain came down in torrents, raindrops splashing onto the rising water like machine gun fire. It was unrelenting. Willard stepped onto the first floor and into the water. It rose to his knees and flooded his boots. To his right, the landlady, Mrs. Gephardt, was sitting at the table in the dining room, drinking tea and staring out the window. Her dark eyes were lost in thought and she seemed entirely oblivious to the water swirling around her waist. Mrs. Gephardt? She looked up with a polite smile and nodded hello. How long has the water been flowing in like this? asked Willard. Mrs. Gephardt squinted her eyes and looked around the room. (sighs) Like what? She asked. The front door, it's rushing in! Mrs. Gephardt leaned over and looked into the entryway. Oh, I suppose the door is open. Please close it for me. I'd get up to do it myself, but you're closer. Willard pulled the door with both hands, but it wouldn't budge against the current. He looked out into the street and water was flowing into other houses as well. People trudged through the flood without umbrellas, soaked, carrying on with their days as if nothing was the matter. I was just deciding if I should go to the church festival or not, the landlady said from the dining room. Willard looked at her like she was insane. You cannot be serious. We need to evacuate the town at once. The levee could break at any moment. Mrs. Gephardt twisted her face like she smelled something putrid. She set her teacup down and clasped her hands on the table. I'm sorry, Dr. Willard, and I mean this with no disrespect to you or your profession, but the other boarders and some people in town have been talking. You're testing their patience with your ceaseless doom and gloom. Excuse me. And I'll say candidly that I'm inclined to agree with them. You've been hysterical for weeks, and, well, we just about had it. She leaned forward like a teacher scolding a student. Rendered speechless, Willard stepped back and nearly fell into the water. If you're so convinced the town is facing some terrible disaster, then I don't understand why you're still even here. Go ahead, pack your bags and flee. But I must say, you're acting ridiculous for a man of science. Things like that don't happen here. Don't happen here. Ma'am, the river is rising, and believe me, I would flee, but I'm duty-bound to serve this community as a physician. When the worst occurs, there will surely be casualties. My services will be needed. Mrs. Gephardt waved her hand around her head like she was shooing a fly. I guess you just can't talk sense into some people, she said to herself. She stood up, picked up her teacup and saucer, and waded towards the kitchen. The flooding lifted her chair, and it slowly followed in her wake. Please, Willard begged. This is no small rainstorm. It's been pouring for weeks. Something has to give. Go to the carnival and have some fun. And if you see me there, please say hello, but only if you're in a better mood. I'm not letting you ruin my Sunday. She walked through the doorway and disappeared into the kitchen. Willard called out to her, but she did not respond. Two blocks away, the Miami River continued to rise, setting up Miamisburg, Ohio for certain disaster. Willard opened his umbrella and headed out into the street towards the fire station. The submerged sidewalks were packed with people going about their Sundays. Neighbors stopped one another to say hello, stepping out of the way as tipped over horse carriages and black Ford motor cars slowly floated down the street with the current. The townspeople held on to one another to stay upright, but otherwise were unbothered by the rising, knee-high water flowing around them. Willard worked his way down Main Street. The rain was so intense that he could only see a few yards ahead of him. Someone grabbed his wrist and he stopped. It was Mr. Talbot, the pharmacist. He was soaked through, so much so that Willard could see his bare chest through his shirt. He held onto a dog leash, the end of which disappeared into the dark water. Dr. Willard, said Mr. Talbot. He raised his right hand to his forehead and nodded, politely tipping a hat that was not there. He ran his hand over his dripping bald head and furrowed his brow. I seem to have lost my hat. Willard stared at him. Mr. Talbot tugged on the dog leash. I wanted to know if you could please assist me. Of course, I'm not seeking free medical advice. No, I can stop by your office and pay the bill tomorrow at whatever price you think is fair. It's just a small matter, but as a sign of respect, I must insist that I pay you for your services. Rain gathered on his thick, gray eyebrows. When he blinked, water poured into his eyes and down his wrinkled cheeks. I'll help if I can, but if this is a minor issue that can wait, I'd prefer you make an appointment. Perhaps when the rain stops and the water level drops. My office is nearly destroyed from the damage. We need to evacuate the city. We need to find higher ground. Talbot looked at him side-eyed and then glanced up to the sky. He held out his free hands to catch some raindrops. He let his hand fall and wiped his palm on his pants. (laughs) Right, he said dismissively. Well, I won't take up too much of your time, as you do seem to be in a hurry. Of course, I thought maybe you could extend some help as a professional courtesy, considering our vocations intersect daily. And like I said, payment is insured. Or maybe we can strike some deal where I can provide medical supplies to your office. Odds and ends, some medicines you might need. Equal to the cost of your services, of course. But like I said, I am just as happy to pay you. Just tell me, what is the matter? I know your expertise is in people, of course, but surely there must be some intersection between being a physician and a veterinarian. And I mean no disrespect to your profession, but as this is a small matter, I was thinking maybe you could help me what is it well it's calvin my poodle he seems to be under the weather up to now he's been a perfectly obedient dog but lately he's been lethargic and won't follow the simplest command taking him for a walk an activity i used to look forward to with great pleasure has become the most arduous task maybe you can take a look willard cocked his head i don't know if i can help but i'll take a look But as you suggested yourself, this should be the duty of a veterinarian. Talbot's eyes lit up. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Willard. Here, let's have us a look. Talbot pulled the dog leash, hand over hand, like a fisherman pulling in a net. Finally, his dog emerged from the water. Its curly hair was matted and covered in grime. Its mouth was open, with its tongue hanging out the side of its jaws, and a white film had formed over its eyes. Talbot scooped it up and held it in his arms. He patted his dog on the belly and told it it was a good boy. Willard recoiled in horror. Mr. Talbot, that dog is dead! Talbot scoffed and wiped his eyebrow. (laughs) Well, let's not jump to conclusions. He's just tired and I'd like a diagnosis if possible. Willard put his hand on the dog. It was ice cold and its abdomen was starting to bloat. Willard's stomach twisted. How long has he been like this? Talbot glanced over and thought. Well, about a week. Yeah, a week, I'd say. I'm I'm sorry, Mr. Talbot, I can't help you. Kelvin here has drowned. Talbot laughed. A small crowd had encircled them, and everyone joined in. <laughs> Dr. Willard, respectfully, I must disagree. I never let Kelvin go by the river. He never leaves my side, so drowning is quite out of the question. Like you said, perhaps this is a matter best for a veterinarian. Well, you can't say I didn't try. Thank you for your services, however insufficient they might have been. I don't know if payment is entirely necessary for such a cursory exam, but we'll work out the details tomorrow. Talbot dropped his dog and it fell into the water with a splash before sinking out of sight. He tipped his invisible hat to Willard and bid him farewell. Willard collected himself and pushed forward down Main Street. By now, the water was up to his belly button. His head spun. He felt like he was going insane. Willard finally arrived at the fire station, soaked to the bone. The garage door was open. The flooding had pushed the fire truck against the wall, and it was tilted at an angle. Hello! He cried out. No one answered. He waded into the garage and called out again. A head poked down from a circular hole in the ceiling. A fireman's pole went down from the floor above into the stinking water. Dr. Willard? asked the firefighter. I need to speak with the fire chief! The man squinted his eyes and disappeared out of sight. After a moment, he reappeared. Is this an emergency? Yes, this is an emergency! The man disappeared, then reappeared. Is there a fire? No, there's no fire. We need to evacuate the city. We must sandbag the river. The levee will break at any moment. The man rolled his eyes, disappeared, then reappeared after a few moments. All right, come on up, but please call ahead next time. The phone lines are down. That is as may be, but next time, call all the same. Here. "'Grab a hold of the pole and hoist yourself up. "'The door to the stairway is jammed shut. "'I'm afraid the pole is the only way in.' The man disappeared again. Willard trudged to the fire pole and attempted to pull himself up. After losing his grip and falling into the water a few times, he finally made his way to the second floor and pulled himself into a candlelit room. Thirteen firefighters were gathered around a long table with the fire chief seated at the head. The picked-over remains of a roast pig sat in the middle of the table, its ribs exposed and its eyes seared shut. The men shouted over one another, and all were quite drunk. "'Chief Robinson, uh, may I have a word with you?' called Willard. Robinson rolled his eyes and sat back in his chair. He opened his palms in front of him, inviting Willard to speak. "'Sir, with all due respect, this is no time for celebration.' The river is rising, and soon Miamisburg will be entirely underwater! We must begin sandbagging at once to stop the flood if it's not already too late!" Robinson grunted and the table fell silent. He raised his fists to his mouth and bit his knuckle, stifling a laugh. <coughs> um, a flood, you say? He finally broke and howled with laughter. <laughs> In an instant, all the men joined in. They raised their glasses. To the flood! Called out a red-faced man with an overgrown mustache. The men cracked up, cried cheers, and drank. The laughter did not cease. Finally, Chief Robinson pushed his chair back, stood up, walked over to Willard, and put his arm around him. He was a tall, slender man with strangely long, skinny fingers. He spoke loudly into Willard's ear. Tell you what, Dr. Willard, why don't you head to the levees? Me and the boys will be right behind you with supplies. The men groaned. Robinson looked over his shoulder and winked. He waved his hands to quiet the men down. <laughs> yes, we'll be right over there, on the double. Allow us to let our lunch settle and we'll give you a hand. Sir, this will require a concerted effort with the entire town if we're going to stop it. We need to evacuate the women and children and get all able-bodied men to help. Of course, of course, able-bodied men, I'm right on it. I'll sound the alarm, but go ahead and see yourself out. You can find an ideal spot for us to start and we'll begin our, our how did you say it? Our concerted effort. Willard stared at Robinson with his mouth open. Robinson frowned. Do you not believe we will help? Are you calling me a liar? Willard swallowed. I… I haven't said anything, sir. Robinson put on a fake smile. Perfect! Then we'll see you there, won't we boys? The men laughed, raised their glasses, and drank. Robinson held Willard tightly around the shoulder and led him to the fire pole. Yeah, yeah, we'll be right behind you, don't wait up. Robinson pushed Willard to the pole and wouldn't let his hand off his back until Willard took it and slid down into the garage. By now, the water was shoulder high and he could swim. Willard looked up to the ceiling and Robinson was gone. Exhausted, Willard finally made it to the levee. He pulled himself onto the mushy ground and rolled over on his back, gasping for air. Rain pelted every inch of his body, and it stung. He brought himself to his feet and looked out on Miamisburg. The water was nearly a story high. He could make out the figures of people swimming from place to place. A few bloated horses bobbed above the water. Planks of wood and unhinged doors floated through the streets. In the distance, the church was on fire. Smoke furled into the sky and disappeared into the low, heavy clouds. He cupped his hands over his eyes and looked out to the fire station. Smoke poured from the chimney. No one was coming to help. To his left, the river was only a few inches from overflowing. He watched the water level rise as the rain mercilessly pounded down. Not too far away, an unmanned rowboat floated towards him, its oars dragging from its sides. Willard walked towards it, fighting against winds that had picked up speed as the rain intensified. He was a few feet away when he felt water rushing past his ankles. The river had finally begun to overflow. He trudged faster to the boat, which was picking up speed as the current intensified over the levee. The boat was coming at him at a dangerous clip when he jumped in with the little energy he had left. It spun in a circle, caught the current, and flowed down the riverbank into Linden Avenue. The oars wobbled with terrific force and Worried they would break free, Willard grabbed onto them to pull them in. The boat raced with the flow of the water. He pulled with all his strength to bring in the oar on his left, and safely pulled it into the boat. He grabbed the one on the right and pulled for his life when it broke free from its hitch, flew into the boat, and cracked him on the forehead. He fell back, and everything went dark. Willard awoke with a start. There was a few inches of water in the boat, but the rain had finally stopped. He propped himself up and observed that he was back on Main Street, level with rooftops and the third stories of houses. Everything else was either underwater or washed away. He was surrounded by floating bodies. Some were face down with their arms and legs disappearing into the dark, polluted water below. Others were face up with their mouths and eyes wide open. Every so often, his boat would hit a body, sending the corpse slowly spiraling away. The town was completely quiet, short of the distant cracking of flames and his oars splashing through the water. He stopped paddling when he came across a house. Its facade had fallen into the water, exposing an attic. A large family was gathered inside. He paddled closer and saw that they were gathered around an unplugged radio. Hello? Is everyone okay?" No one inside stirred. He called out again, and a large man in overalls waved him away. Undeterred, Willard paddled up to the house and came to a stop. The family inside was soaked through and shivering. Steam came from their breath and bodies and formed a small cloud around them. They were gathered around a radio, listening intensely, although the radio was plugged into nothing. And no sound was coming out. Along the walls and in the corners of the room, corpses were piled up on their backs and on their sides. Does anyone need medical assistance? A woman in a sopping green dress came out of the shadows and approached him. Her hair was tied back in a wet ponytail. Her cheeks and eyes were dark and sunken in. As she walked towards him, she raised her finger to her lips and shushed him. Please, My family is listening to our favorite program. Ma'am, it's unsanitary for you to be in there. We must get your family out at once. The woman scowled. How dare you comment on the upkeep of my household? No, ma'am, that's not what I meant at all. The flood. The water is unsafe and your house could crumble at any moment. And now my house isn't good enough for you? I'm sorry we can't all make the salary of a doctor, but we find a way to get by. I won't stand here and take any more insults! I bid you farewell, doctor, please be on your way!" She turned and disappeared into the shadows. The family around the radio remained still as ever. Willard paddled on and stopped at another attic. Inside a man was tearing through bureau drawers, throwing papers in the air, then frantically pacing to the other side of the room, falling to his knees and combing through files in a desk. "'Excuse me!' Are you all right in there? The man did not look up. Sir, do you need help? The man clenched his fists, bit his finger to calm himself, then approached Willard. What's the issue here? He whispered loudly, like he didn't want to wake someone up. He wore soaked blue dress pants and a dress shirt with no tie. He had on no shoes and his lips were blue. My dear sir, you look unwell. I'm a doctor, I'm here to help. The man scoffed and stamped his bare foot on the ground. Unless you can help me find Form A21-C, there's nothing you can do for me, he whispered. Willard stared at him in surprise. I must have misplaced it, the man said to himself. This cannot stand. Oh, when the bank opens first thing Monday, I'm done for. Sure, a small accounting mistake here and there can be forgiven, but if I can't find Form A to one stroke C, then it will mean my immediate dismissal. <laughs> or worse. The man worked himself up into a frenzy. He got on all fours and crawled back to his desk. He manically flipped through the files. Sir, you look like you're freezing. please. Come with me. I can bring you to safety. The man slammed his fists on the attic floor and glared at Willard. Don't you understand the trouble I'm in? Mr. Towns will have my hide for this. He turned back to his files, muttering to himself, pulling at his hair and stamping his fists on the ground. There was no reasoning with the crazed man. Willard paddled away. Willard stopped at house after house, only to be dismissed. It had grown dark. A small bonfire burned in the distance. He steered towards it, navigating between dead bodies and driftwood. The bonfire burned on a rooftop. He stopped and docked. Twelve men sat cross-legged around the fire on the roof, warming their hands. A man in wet black robes sat at an ornate chair close to the flames. He stood when he saw Willard, and pointed at him, directing the men toward him. The men stood up at once and approached the boat. Gentlemen, are you okay? Willard asked. The men scowled, grabbed at him, and pulled him onto the roof. One of the men stayed behind and took the oars from the boat. He pushed the boat away with his foot, and it silently disappeared into the darkness. The men roughly dragged Willard to the man in the robes, who Willard recognized as Judge Grossman. I strongly suggest you stay seated where you are, Dr. Willard. Any attempt to flee will be further evidence of your guilt. Guilt? I've done nothing! The men jeered at his outburst. A man kicked him in the ribs, and Willard doubled over. All right, all right, that's not necessary, Judge Grossman said to the men. Dr. Willard, we've been waiting for you since the levy broke. When it became clear that you had no intention of presenting yourself, we had no choice but to try you in absentia. After multiple persuasive arguments by the prosecutor and, to put it lightly, a weak defense by your public defender, the jury has returned with a guilty verdict. Guilty? Applause erupted all around them. People had gathered and were standing on their roofs, cheering Judge Grossman on, crying out thanks to the jurors, clanging pots and pans. I've devoted my life in service to this community. This is ridiculous. What's ridiculous, Dr. Willard, is that you suspiciously were the only one aware that a flood was imminent, and you did nothing to stop it, barked the judge. The only one? I've been warning people for weeks that this city was in danger. Just today I went to the chief of the fire department begging him for help to sandbag the river. And what became of that? Nothing. No one came to help. Then you weren't persuasive enough. It rained for weeks, and for weeks you took no action beyond warning your friends and neighbors to their great annoyance that the sky was falling. No, my dear Dr. Willard. You have not done enough. I can't control the weather. Well, maybe you should have learned to. Applause erupted from the rooftops. Dr. Willard, the jury has found you guilty, and I, seated at the helm of the court, sentence you to death by drowning. People on the rooftops cheered insanely. Can I defend myself? pleaded Willard. You, my sir, are defenseless. Gentlemen, carry out justice, and do it swiftly!" shouted Judge Grossman. The jury descended on Willard. The citizens gathered on the rooftops shouted and fell to their knees. They pulled at their hair and ripped at their clothes. The men of the jury held Willard down. A boot stomped on his hand. He felt his tiny bones break under the force, and he cried out. A man stood over Willard and beat his knee with one of the oars until it shattered and bent backwards. Toss him in. in. Toss Toss him in. The crowd chanted wildly. The men picked up Willard by his arms and legs. Pain exploded from his hand and knee, reverberating throughout his body, ripping through his nerves like shattered glass. One, two, three shouted the men, flinging Willard into the water. For a few moments he managed to tread water despite the pain. He weakly swam to the roof of the courthouse, but the men used his oars to push him away. People screamed and applauded. The judge sat in his chair, satisfied. The jury formed ranks on the roof, pushing Willard away when he got too close. Willard struggled until he was out of energy. His head went under, and water filled his lungs. The pain was spectacular. He sank to the bottom of the flooded road as his vision tunneled. Finally, all went black. Three weeks later, when the water levels fell and the people of Miamisburg began to rebuild, they erected a plaque in memoriam of all those who lost their lives in the great flood. Dr. Willard's body, was never recovered. The story must be told.
1: The story must be told. Hey, everyone. Uh, Thanks for sticking around after the story. We all, of course, saw Sister Callista fall down, gasping and flailing with the worst case of the shivers I've ever seen in my whole stupid life. Right in the middle of the story, yeah, knocked over a big candle, huge distraction. But she got the shivers, shivering up, shivering down, shivering left and right too, you bet. I don't know what happened, but apparently she was just soaking saltwater wet for so long, it turned Sister Callista into Sister Popsicle. Woof. Woof. (laughs) You gotta look out for that. That's why we're asking you to talk to your loved ones about really bad shivers. Did you fall in a puddle that was actually the ocean that snuck up on you somehow? Then the shivers might be for you. Please talk to doctor uh, about shivers and how to buy the new medicine, towel. Thanks to the United States Congress, a towel only costs $1,400. What a bunch of goofballs! See ya next time. <laughs> that was the story must be told. And my name is Quaspa, the friendly ghoul. Um, you wanna support us, right? Because we do all this for you, and we don't even have ads. I don't know why we never. I mean, now we kind of stuck to it. And we we've said we won't do it. We won't do it. But we gotta have. Gotta earn that fucking cheddar, man. Gotta fucking earn that cheddar. If you want to, go to patreon.com slash tsmbt And just give us a, a quick chad. Uh, my name's Grass by the Ghoul, and I'm a little ghost. I'm friends with a boy. I'm friends with a ghoul. And when I died, everyone was sad because I was just a little boy. Um, For only $5.22, you get an entire extra podcast. That doesn't really have a lot to do with this one except that it's us we just chat We get into details It's called the 522 Club And most of the time It's just a really fucking nice time It's a loose Loosey goosey time So you could have that You could have that too Um Everyone got sad when I died Because I fell I fell on One nail after another Until the deed was done Yeah That's falling on a lot of nails (laughs) You fall on one nail And you think That's bad That's bad I'm a little boy I'm scared I'm gonna do it again But then I kept doing it and that's why everyone was sad, on top of me being a little boy. If you want to, you could even give more money. And you heard you heard those uh those petitions we did in the beginning? You can have one of those. Yeah, that's how you do it. Give us 17 dollars and 17 cents and we'll do a petition in your honor well i'm the little boy and now i'm getting out of here because the priest said you're not welcome here and priests what priest says to boys it gotta go so i'm out of here i am now a homeless baby boy ghost i died falling on nails and everything's even sadder for me after i died because i didn't go anywhere I'm still here. I'm just rotting here and scaring your cats. Yep. Give us some of that cheddar. Just help us keep it going. And we'll see you next time on The Story Must Be Told. I love you. Kisses. Good night.
2: Finally, his dog emerged from the water. Ah! Water. Do you like how he said that? Finally, his dog emerged from the water. <laughs> it was quite thrilling. I'm... St- oh, there's a car beeping. Good. Right as I'm getting into it. <laughs> I really like this city. It's it's really expensive, but there's also nothing to do anymore. So we're just gonna... Ah! We're just gonna wait this one out, you and me. Hope things are good. I miss LA. I don't know why I live here. Blah! <clears throat> Everyone yelled. Ah, there was a flood, they called. No, a man screamed. Ah, my baby. My job is so stressful I lose my voice by 5 p.m. That's not part of the story. It's just the horror of everyday life. The story must be told.
1: This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.